0: Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, for this beautiful morning. Lord. Thank you for reminding us so many wonderful things, Lord. The songs that we sing are not just mere words, but they are truths, uh, truths from scripture about you. We proclaim the truth that you are a good God and nothing is impossible with you, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that we believe that all things are possible for those who believe. We want to believe, Lord Jesus, and keep our eyes fixed on you and trust you. Lord, as we turn to your amazing word, your living word, your matchless word, we pray that you would speak into our hearts deep within, Lord. Wherever our situation is, whatever, uh, Lord, our life is heading towards, you will speak and uh, lead us and guide us, good shepherd. We trust you and we entrust ourselves to you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 I have uh, realized that uh, during the pandemic, a sharing screen is one of the best things you can do uh, it's a simpler form of communication and so i'm going to share even this series on uh, my ppt discipleship how many of you heard this word discipleship if you've read the new testament you can't miss this word right disciple it's such a big uh, word uh, on jesus vocabulary it is such a, an important word uh, in the sense of the gospel and the book of acts you hear In fact, if you calculate it all together, just the first five books of the New Testament, more than 250 times, take any translation you want, more than 250 times, you will see this word occur. Once in the Old Testament, uh, depending on the translation, again, you read once or twice, but so many times in the Gospels. And um, so that is discipleship. Now, be one, make one. A beautiful quote that I read was, we aren't called to fill the pews with members we are called to fill the world with disciples hallelujah hallelujah this is what jesus said right go and make disciples of all nations all nations what a grand and such a you know massive picture jesus painted and gave a vision a global vision that jesus gave his disciples hallelujah and so we are a local church but we have a global vision amen amen isn't that wonderful to know that even though we are local uh, our vision is not local our vision is global and that is why uh, that is a calling on each one of us the question that people often ask is why disciple why is discipleship so important to jesus why is discipleship so important to the apostles and the new testament believers and uh, how can how can we learn you know how to disciple i'm going to give you three good reasons why discipleship is important and we can also look briefly at how that can be outworked okay but the why becomes uh, an extremely important question i read a beautiful book a couple of months ago called start with why by simon sinek if you've heard uh, of him yeah he's a huge craze on the internet and he's written this uh, bestseller really good book it says start with why you know and when you ask the question why. Uh, You get a lot of answers and then you know why you're doing what you're doing. So let's look at why why discipleship? Why discipleship? Firstly, it's a biblical command and that should be the one good reason for us to disciple and uh, because the Bible says, because Jesus said, remember Matthew 28 verse 18, 19, 20, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he tells his disciples and also to us, he says, go go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit and teaching them to obey everything i have commanded you so discipleship is a command of jesus and jesus said this in john he said if you love me you will obey my commandments." hallelujah it's as simple as that if we claim to love jesus then we will obey his commandments. As I mentioned earlier, more than 250 times, Jesus said this, you know, this new Testament talks about discipleship. So often Jesus spoke of discipleship. He invested his majority of his ministry was into discipleship. We often focus a lot on miracles and his teaching and his, um, you know, signs and wonders that he did. But if you look at the majority of the time that he invested in his three and a half year of earthly ministry, it was into disciple making. He was discipling these uh, disciples who would then go on and make more disciples and then they would make more disciples. That brings me to my second point. Billy Graham said this. Billy Graham said salvation is free, but discipleship costs everything we have. That is why today, sadly, there are very few people who are really engaged in discipleship because it is costly, not in terms of monetary value, but in terms of other demands that it uh, has on our life, be it our emotions, be it our effort, be it our time. You know, there's a lot of demand when you disciple someone. And that's why salvation is free, but discipleship costs everything we have. It was said by none other than the great uh, Billy Graham. The second thing is, It is a strategy for growth. Why do we disciple? Because it is a strategy for growth. And this is not just a strategy created by some uh, organization. It is not a strategy that is like, you know, you say, oh, this is a tried and tested strategy. It is a divine strategy. It is a divine strategy. This is God's strategy for growth. Any other strategy that you come from, could be a figment of our imagination from a human perspective. But discipleship is God's strategy. And this is how God said, this is how my kingdom is going to advance through discipleship. Hallelujah. Amen. So this is right at the beginning when you see Adam was all alone in the garden. Not really all alone. He had a lot of animals and birds and the whole creation was there. God himself was there. And yet God noticed that Adam was lonely. And so he created a madam for Adam, right? You remember that beautiful verse that says, it is not good for a man to be alone. It is not good. Now, often when we think of this verse, we often think of couples. The first thing that comes to our mind is, you know, a man who's single and needs a a partner or a girl who's single and needs a spouse. But this verse or this statement has broad implications when god said it is not good for man to be alone he was not just talking about single he was talking about loneliness these are two different words remember jesus was single and yet he was not lonely god did not say it is not good for a man to be single okay so i pray that all those who are looking for wives will find one and all those who are looking for husbands will find one but my point here is God does not have a problem with singlehood. In fact, it is a beautiful calling in the Bible. If you look at, you know, some of the greats in the Bible be it Daniel, Nehemiah, Paul, you know, these were all single men who served God amazingly. It is not that they lived an unfulfilled life. They lived a fulfilled life. Hallelujah. Amen. So God is not putting down uh, singlehood. Singlehood is beautiful if you've called, if you there is a calling on you to be single then that is glorious. God will give you much grace. And the Bible has much to say about singlehood. But the problem that God has or the problem that God noticed in Adam was he was lonely. He was lonely. And what is amazing about loneliness is, you know, you can be in the midst of a group of people. You can be in a crowded train. You can be in a crowded relationship and yet be lonely. And that is why discipleship is so important. God has never intended for us to have some religious program where it is you and God and that's it. You know, I do go to the church. I go, I sit and I go back and that's it. You know, it's between God and me. It was never meant to be that. Discipleship breaks such myth about and that is exactly what religion is. You know, religion is always about this one person and his God and that bhakt and the you know the object of your bhakti that is how people view it but that is not how christianity is christianity is based on relationships can someone say hallelujah hallelujah amen our relationship with god and our relationship with one another it's a two way beam it's setting right with god that is what jesus did on the cross but he also set us right with one another breaking every barrier, breaking every dividing wall. And that is how discipleship is so beautiful. It is meant to connect us with one another. It is meant to, so that you and I together can help one another grow in God. Amen. One of the books that I just finished day before yesterday was a book called The Art of War. Uh, I don't know what's written in Chinese. I hope it's The Art of War only. I don't know what those symbols are. I've got no clue. But uh, the reason I picked up this book is because I heard so much about this book. And occasionally what I try and do is uh, I take a book which is uh, based on the Bible, a Christian book, and then I try and take a secular book. So I try and mix books. Like I said, I just finished reading uh, Start With Why earlier. Then I read a Christian book. Then uh, I came back to reading this book. I've just finished this and now I will dive into a Christian book. So that's my style of reading. And uh, I really enjoyed this book. If if you are, uh, it's a lot of art of war as, as the name is pretty much, uh, you know, there's nothing secretive about the name. It's about the art of war and how people fought wars. But what it also teaches you is a lot of life lessons. And one such beautiful lesson in the book. Uh, is what i wish to share with you and this is what sunzu says he says our relationship is like a boat has a relationship with the waters so imagine a boat okay, all of us have seen boats uh, some of us have must have sat in boats crossed ferries you know all those uh, mud island people you've 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 done that right we may have not gone on big cruises and all that but um it's not the most preferred Today, my preferred mode of transport. In fact, it is the most least preferred mode of transport. You know, people prefer cars, buses, even airplanes, railways, trains. But uh, boat is not that popular today, sadly. You know, because it's this costly. But look at this. So for a boat, it needs water. It cannot do without water. The boat on the shore is nothing. It's just a piece of wood. Now it's got no utility. Is just there, right? But if for a boat to fulfill his calling and purpose, you need water. So if the boat has to go from one shore to another, if the car has to go from one shore to another, it needs fuel. But for the boat, it's the water that's the fuel, right? Right. So I love that uh, description that he said. But look at what else he said. This blew my mind. He said, it is the same water that takes the boat from one shore to another. It helps it fulfill his calling. But it is the same water that can even cause the boat to sink. Isn't that brilliant? No, it's the same water. It's the water that helps you fulfill your calling. And it is the same water that can lead you to your destruction. And uh, what he was trying to say, basically, was uh, this is how relationships are. If you are into a right relationship, you will see your calling fulfilled. This person will help you to reach from one level to another. And that is exactly what discipleship is. I've been a product of discipleship, and I've said this time and again, You know, I've, if I've grown in God, it has been because I was discipled, and I am being discipled by some amazing men. And I'm extremely grateful to them. These two or three of them who have played such an integral part in my life and even continue to do so even now. You know, I am extremely grateful to God. And uh, this is what I intend to do. You know, it's my sincere um, effort that I disciple men who will then disciple others. And uh, is not that a beautiful picture? If you are in a right relationship, it will help you to get from one end to another. If you are in a wrong relationship, then it is the same water that will sink your boat, that is that will sink your life. The question to ask is what kind of a relationship are we building around? If we don't have, if we are not discipling others or we are not being discipled, we are not being one, we are not making one, then we are somewhere not fulfilling the call that God has over our life. It is a question of introspection. Each of us must ask, who are we investing into? I'm sure all of us have made some kind of investment. All of us. You know, we may be having FDs, RDs, savings account, mutual funds, whatever, you know, all that is good. But the question is, how are we investing spiritually? Have we been invested into and are we investing into? It? It's never late, brothers and sisters. It's never late. I read a beautiful quote about relationship. It said, "A true relationship is two imperfect people refusing to give up on each other." Hallelujah, Hallelujah. So don't have this misconception that I can disciple only when I reach a certain place. You know, when I am perfect, then I can start discipling. That's a, that's one of the flimsiest reasons I've heard. You will never be perfect. You will never be perfect. This side of the earth, you will never be perfect, right? Unless you walk into the new earth, it's then that we will attain absolute perfection. But right now it is two imperfect people who constantly refuse to give up on each other. They help each other grow. See, understand discipling is not just helping someone grow. As you help them grow, you are growing in the law. Hallelujah. It is something so beautiful. You are also fulfilling your calling by discipling someone. So there is someone who's growing. And then once you've invested into their life, move on to another one and invest into that person's life. Invest as a couple into another couple. These are things that God wants us to do. This is God's strategy to grow. Hallelujah. Let me give you a third reason of uh, discipleship. And this is something that I'm going to focus on. In this series. That's the reason why I put it third. Because um, I'm going to look at this. This particular point. This is what the Bible says. Another fantastic verse. And uh, very stylish kind of Old Testament writing. Using imagination. And uh, you know. Certain kind of tool. To explain what he means. This is what the writer of Proverbs says. Proverbs 27. Verse 17 says. As iron sharpens iron. So one person sharpens another. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, simple and nice. Now, I don't know how many of you have seen this Chakujuri tez karalo, that kind of you. I remember when we were very young, uh, my mom's there, she will she would say that, you know, we we lived on the second floor and there was this guy who would come on the cycle and he had this amazing tool right in front of his cycle. It was fixed to his cycle and uh, he would give a shout. And the entire building, we were 42 homes. Many homes would come with their knives and their axes. I mean, the koitas, you know, to cut the narial, you know, all those. And they would come down and these were all blunt knives. And then he would start peddling. And there was a certain kind of peddling he would do. And there was this um, circle, sharp thing that would start rolling rapidly. And all he had to do was then put the knife on it. Have any of you seen it? Can you give me a thumbs up if you've seen this in action? Yeah, we've all seen, right? The 80s, 90s, guys. We've all seen. Now it's all disposable knife. Yeah, all plastic knives. <laughs> but those days, you know, it was like, ah, and suddenly the sparks coming out. And then you should see the blade. It was like, whoa, you ought to be careful now. You know, now that is sharpened. Another sharpening example that comes to my mind is uh, our school days. Remember this? Yeah, anyone? I know this generation has no idea what this is. They're like, what is this? But this is called pencil. For all those who are born the millennial children, this is pencil. Okay, and how how often we carried these pencils? Remember those exam days? But the pencil is incomplete with uh, you know without this. This is called the sharpener. How many of you use this? Come on, give me a thumbs up. You've actually used a pencil and a sharpener. I rem- you remember those days you know in school in fact we had pen only when we landed in the 5th standard uh, till primary section we had only pencil so our compass boxes were full of pencils 3 4 pencils and you always carried a sharpener because you never trusted the pencil to survive you know either you wrote a lot and the nip could break so you always had a sharpener and the sharpener and the, rub- the rubber the rubber eraser right and uh, especially when you were writing your exams you wanted to make sure that your compass is full of four sharp pencils uh, you don't want to take chance right you'll be so foolish to go with one pencil to the exam without sharpener you, you, you may know everything but you can't write what will you do then you've got to borrow pencil like a pencil like yeah that is exactly how our life is present sisters. we all know that exams don't end when we finish our studies exams continue and the exam the big exam called life begins and we keep giving our exams in life we can give our exams in life with a dull pencil or we can give exams in life with a sharp pencil but all of us need sharpeners to sharpen us that is discipleship hallelujah hallelujah it helps us to sharpen our lives and that is exactly what uh, the Proverbs writer has in mind. This is what he says. He says, as iron sharpens iron, as the sharpener sharpens the pencil, if I may use uh, today's time analogy, one person sharpens another. Hallelujah. One person, we are all called to stay sharpened and we are all called to sharpen one another. We are all called to sharpen one another. A question to ask is, who are you sharpening? As a mother, you can sharpen your children. As a wife, you can sharpen your husband. As a husband, you can sharpen your wife. As a brother, you can sharpen your sister. As children, you can sharpen your parents. As friends, you can sharpen one another. Brothers and sisters, this is an important call over our lives. And we can only sharpen if we are sharp. Have you ever tried to sharpen a pencil with a dull sharpener? Do you know this blade... I'm pointing up, but uh, you can't see it on the screen, right? Do you, do you see a blade? You understand how this sharpener works? There is a screw on top, if you notice, and uh, there's a blade there. And sometimes you just get that blade. You can even sharpen that blade. So the sharpener stays sharp. And right? I'm sure we've done all of this uh, in our school days, right? And it is important for the sharpener to be sharp so that the pencil can be sharpened. I'm not sure how I'm going to do all this in Hindi. I've got no idea. But you understand this, right? This sharpener ko tez karne this sharpener ka hona hai. Amen? Right? If you want the pencil to be sharpened, sometimes you've tried sharpening, sharpening, it just keeps turning, but nothing is coming out. The wood is not getting, you know, it's, it's not coming out. Why? Because the sharpener itself is done. So for us to sharpen one another, it is so important That we stay sharp. Say this uh, on mute. Say this. I must stay sharp. I must stay sharp in God. What does it mean to be sharp in God? One of the things which, like I said, I'm going to focus in this series is consecration or holiness. Leviticus chapter 11 verse 44 says, for I am the Lord your God you shall therefore consecrate yourselves this is something god is saying this is who i am now i give you a responsibility you shall consecrate yourselves you shall be holy for i am holy it was an onus that god laid on the israelites to stay sharp god said god said listen i am sharp i am holy and that is why you must do something What should you do? You should consecrate. It's a a big word and it comes so often in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We will look at both verses. To consecrate is to be set apart. Something that is special, something that is precious. Another word for consecration is holiness. People often say, what is holiness? It simply means you are set apart. This is something that is special. Paul will give a beautiful analogy, which I will come to later. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, the Lord will do amazing things among you." What a beautiful verse this is. I feel as we are entering into a new season. No, I believe this word. I believe this is what the Lord is saying to us tomorrow. It obviously means in in the coming future. Tomorrow, the Lord will do amazing things amongst us. How many of us want to witness this? How many of us want to witness this? How many of us want to witness amazing things happening among us? We all do, right? We all do. Okay? But there is something we've got to do before the Lord does something amazing. And this is what Joshua says. Again, the onus is on you. You've got to consecrate yourselves. You've got to work towards purifying your life. You've got to work towards sharpening your acts. You've got to help one another consecrate ourselves look at the new testament two timothy chapter 2 verse 21 it says if you keep yourself pure you will be a special utensil for honorable use hallelujah lovely analogy that paul uses about utensils you look at utensils in your house there are so many kinds of utensils and vessels right itish was talking about the throne this morning right there is a utensil in the toilet that you have, which you never use in the kitchen. I hope not, right? You never use. They may be same jugs that you bought from the market, from the same vendor. But then you decided this vessel is going to be in the toilet. This vessel is going to be used in the bathroom. This vessel is going to be used in the kitchen. There's a different vessel. And Paul says to Timothy, if we keep ourselves pure. The onus is on us. Look at the number of times you see you in this one verse. You'll be shocked to see how many yous are there. This is, if you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Brothers and sisters, I understand sometimes, you know, there is so much about The onus is on God, right? God makes us holy. That is so true. That is so true that it is God who makes us holy. We can never become holy. He has made us holy. But then to live a life of holiness, is the onus is on us. The responsibility is on us. Hallelujah. That is why time and again in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we constantly read the Bible encourages us to live a holy life. To live a sharpened life and we can help one another live this holy life, this consecrated life, this sharpened life. Another beautiful verse, 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, since we have these promises from God, know that he's going to do some amazing things and so many promises. Look at what Paul says to the Corinthians. He says, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves. From everything that contaminates the body and the spirit. Perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I, I, I chose this image on purpose. You know, because we've been doing this a lot, right? In the last 18 months, we've been washing our hands. Look at the number of S's we've done. We've done social distancing. We've done soap. We've used sanitizers. But what about the big S? The S is in the word. This verse. What about the spirit? Yes, we have done everything to not let our bodies be contaminated because we know the virus is deadly. But there is another virus with S, that's sin. And that affects our S, spirit. And we are now called to sanctify, to purify, to cleanse, to consecrate, to sharpen ourselves so that we can fulfill, we can claim these promises from God. We can see these promises being fulfilled. We can be utensils that God can use us. But remember, God is looking for pure utensils. That is why he says, let us purify ourselves. Let us get rid of everything that entangles us. Let us get rid of the sin that entangles us and let us run the race that God has marked for us. Brothers and sisters, the Bible is extremely serious about a Christian endeavoring to live a holy life. Nothing is happening automatically. And the reason we believe in discipleship, the reason Jesus taught discipleship is because when you open your life for discipleship, you become vulnerable. You expose yourself. You're right there saying, "Watch my life, how I live? What's my doctrine, what I believe in? And imitate me. Paul would say this in Philippians. To the Philippians. It's imitate me as I imitate Christ. Imitate me. Imitate me. How can you say that? Because you are endeavoring to live a holy life. Brothers and sisters. God wants us body and spirit. Purified and set apart. Perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Hallelujah. We do it. Not because we will get. Some kind of a medal. Not so that we can show off you know, how pious we are. No, we are doing it out of our reverence to God. Hallelujah. It is out of our reverence to God that we want to live a holy life. Because of what Jesus has done for us. Because of the sacrifice he has uh, laid on the cross for us. That sins the, Our sins are taken away, as John said so beautifully. Our sins, he's taken away our sins. And let us remember that. Now to again, you know, take on a sinful nature. Of course, we will sin as Christians. And I'm not saying you're going to have a sinless life. But we must sin less. <laughs> like, uh, I think mean it was, uh, who was that? A great scholar. I his name. Uh, the guy who wrote the screw tape letters. What's mean? Anyone? C.S. Lewis. Yes, thank you. C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis said this beautifully. He said, a Christian's life is not sinless. He's not sinless, but he sins less. Hallelujah. He sins less. Every day, we sin less. We become more and more pure. We become more and more sharpened. Hallelujah. We consecrate ourselves. We purify ourselves. This is so important. Again, here in this verse, there is an onus on us. Let us not just the onus and God saying, Lord, you are purifying me. No, no, you have to play a part. You also have to play a part. If God is sharpening you, then you've got to say, Lord, I am willing to enter in. I am willing to be turned and squeezed and let go of some things that, you know, the pencil has to let go of some wood. Only then it becomes sharp. Only then the lead becomes sharper. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. So uh, I'm going to end today. Actually, I'm going to end very early. The reason being we are going to look at samson okay we are going to look at the life of samson but we are not going to look at samson see when when we think of samson one of the first things that comes to our mind trust me i have read your mind is the build right the moment you say samson to anybody the first thing that comes to your mind is great physic another thing that could come to your mind is delilah samson and delilah hollywood has had a blast with samson and delilah Right? Yeah, the love story and the cutting of the hair. In fact, another thing that comes to your mind when you think of Samson is long hair. Right? Any man with long hair uh, is—I mean, of course, now it's John and Mahindra Singh Dhoni, but earlier, John Abraham, I'm talking about. But earlier, it was Samson. Samson was one guy who had long hair, and uh, you—I one of my favorite stories is when Samson ties up those foxes and puts torches on their tail. That's a crazy, crazy story. Then the end of Samson is again something that is uh, so enthralling, right? What a story. Blind man, Tao, those poles, and then he destroys them and kills many philistines. It's quite a drama. But one thing that we often don't look at, and this is what we're going to look at in this series, is Samson's parents. An entire chapter is dedicated to his parents. And I doubt whether many of you know their names even. His father's name was Manoa. In fact, there is a lot spoken about his mother. Unfortunately, her name is never mentioned. So let's call her Mrs. Manoa. Mr. and Mrs. Manoa, this is who we are going to look at on the 31st. And we're going to look at what God spoke to them about holiness, about being sharpened, about purifying, what God was going to entrust. And this is not just for parents, because discipleship is spiritual parenting. And that is where I feel this is going to be so exciting uh, when we look at Judges chapter 13 on the 31st, A okay, so I'm going to stop now and uh, I'm going to pray that all of us will be engaged in discipling. Hallelujah. Amen. Let us know, talk to one of the elders and we will tell you how uh, you can be engaged in discipling, how you can be discipled and how you can disciple others. And I believe at least in this group, I see many people who are more than capable of discipling. So never rule out that I am not fit for discipling. If Jesus said you're fit, then don't try to be holier than the Bible, okay? Yeah, you are fit for discipling because Jesus has called you to be a disciple, to be a disciple and to disciple others. Hallelujah. Come, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for uh, uh, being our Lord, our master, our rabbi. Lord, you are the one who disciples us. But we thank you also, Lord, that you have entrusted us humans, as weak vessels, that we can disciple one another, we can sharpen one another. Lord, we want to take your command seriously. We want to take this strategy, this divine strategy, seriously, Lord. As a church, we want to pray, Lord Jesus, let Messiah Church be a disciple-making church. May we inculcate discipleship in our system, in our DNA, in our spiritual DNA. Lord, we want to live lives that are sharpened for your glory. Help us, Lord Jesus. May we be sharpened, may we sharpen one another. We know it is never easy, Lord, sparks fly when we sharpen one another. But we pray with your grace, we will continue to sharpen one another and live a life worthy of your calling. We want to be vessels, Lord, that you can use for your glory. We pray this in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. Hallelujah.